Good morning, LL Nation. Welcome in, Lucky Lefty Podcast. I wore the hat today. Excited. A lot to talk about. I'm like Marcus Freeman. Okay, this is over. This season's done. Let's go. Let's move on and build to this new season and this new college football playoff berth. I'm just going to step out on that limb early in January and put it out there in the atmosphere. In January. I'm going to put it out there in January. We are brought to you and featuring Anora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey. That's right, AnoraWhiskey.com. Today, we're going to talk national championship, of course. Some of the comments by Kirby Smart, some of the comments by the players and Nick Saban. We're going to get into finishing this staff off and what we learned and how Notre Dame can apply it to be able to build the program that's needed and what stood out the most about last night. 33-18, Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs finally get it done. After never losing to one of his protégés, Nick Saban loses to two of them in the same season. He also loses to a walk-on for the second time in his career. The only other person was Brian Greasy when he was at Michigan State formerly back in 1997. And then on top of that, it was just, just the way everything went down, man, was just one of those things. I'll tell you this, and then I'll let you flow. When Jameson Williams went down, I, I, at that point, I was like, okay, Georgia's going to win this thing, but I don't even know if I'm going to respect it. Like, that's just the way I felt in the moment. I'm like, okay, Mechie and Jameson Williams, like, Georgia's going to win this thing somehow, some way, but how much can I respect it? But you know what? You've been through it. You've been through it, bro. And you know what it's like for these players the day after the national championship game workouts spring workouts fall camp and then battling through a season yo that's a lot of work to put in and when you put in that much work it really doesn't matter who got hurt <laughs> it does it has no bearing on what you've put into the season. So it was at that point where I said, you know what? A championship is a championship. Injuries are part of the game. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see how things would play out if Jameson Williams had stayed in the game. But Georgia finally slayed the dragon and they finally got the job done. Finally got the job done. They did it through a lot of things working out in their favor. I mean, we said on the last podcast that it's going to come down to a Georgia defense versus Bryce Young in the last two minutes. And just like we saw last night, it came down to Georgia defense and Bryce Young in the last two minutes. But that just caps, captures the entire football season right there. Georgia football defense has been dominant. It's been, it's been a spectacle to watch all season. And Bryce Young being the Heisman, this is the David versus Goliath in his, in his peak of college football. So in terms of the show itself and for, for college football fans all around, it was a great game to watch. Yeah. Georgia finally pulled it off. Uh, like we said, through a lot of 
uh, fortunate things going on. I felt the same. I, I felt like Georgia was going to win by seven last time just because Alabama beat them so bad in the SEC championship. It was so embarrassing that they just played with a different spirit in that game that it's like Alabama just couldn't match. You know, you can't match being embarrassed. You can't match the same energy of being embarrassed when you were so uh, touted. So they had that slight edge and momentum. And then, you know, Stetson Benson was comfortable in the role that he had to play. Uh, they didn't really ask him to do too much. And then he, man, you're he gonna stop made a play. You're going to stop disrespecting Stetson, man. Name is Stetson Bennett, man. You keep you keep calling him Benson, man. Disrespect him. I call him Benson. It's Bennett. It's Stetson Bennett. It's Stetson Bennett. It's Stetson Bennett. But No, you did that on purpose, though, because you were trying to refer to him like he was a waiter. A small part of the team. I see. You're going you to make you gonna build a story out of anything. You're definitely the media. You're going to make a story out of it all, you know. But I think for Georgia, it was great to get over that hump and for Kirby Smart to finally not be in that rut of the uh, the saving the saving invitational. It just it pays off, man. It definitely paid off to put that recruiting to work. And it, and it, and it showed, man, when you had a team like that, uh, just guiding the ship is just the, the best part. And let's see how that shakes up the rest of college football. Interesting stat. I think we talked about it. There were what 39 five stars on the field last night. And 25 of them were for Georgia or something crazy like that. It was 37 five stars <laughs> between the two teams. Georgia had 20 of them. 20 of them. So anybody in their mama can play quarterback when you have 20. Five stars. That's the price of a championship against Nick Saban. You got an all-star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, you know, impact players like that. Or you literally have out five-star them. They out five-star them by three, and that was what it took. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it still came down to Alabama having the ball with a chance to tie it up with 25 stars on the team. Notre Dame, in comparison, only has one. That's, See, that's the difference. And the game is so – turning point in the game for me was a Jai's drop ball on the two-yard line. I think it was like – Second and 10, and they blitzed Bryce from the left. And, no, it was a double fire. It was a middle linebacker and the outside linebacker. And Bryce, he moves to the right just a bit and hangs in there just enough time for a job to get the crossing route. And he just throws a dime right over the defense head, a dime. And takes the if they had the two starting receivers, it'd be different, you know. Game and he different. drops the ball, you know. And then Brooks, I think the series after that, Bryce Young hit gets hit, drops a dime. He drops the ball over his shoulder. He went with one hand. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about. Like even the best teams can't overcome major injuries to yeah, certain yeah. Like, I don't care how good you are. When you lose major pieces, 
Like that's hard to overcome when you're playing other good teams, you know. So that's great teams. Other that's great why we teams. talk. That's why we talked about how important fourteen and Kyron were or would have been in that Fiesta Bowl. Like they're worth points because they make plays at key moments. And without Jamison Williams, like that's a catch he makes. That's a catch Jamison makes. That's yeah, a catch he makes. And, and they had true, true freshmen out there, Alabama with the absolutely. absolutely. So it's like, you know, it was almost a repeat of how we saw Devontae Smith pop on the scene. Uh, it's crazy how you can print receivers in both of these teams and not miss a beat. I mean, 84 was just as electric as Jamison just was built a little smaller. Jacoy Look, Brooks just look, looks like all the other Ajay, receivers. Ajay is going to be a problem. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a problem. problem. You, you yeah. saw, like he made mistakes, but you could see, like, okay, he like he's open. He's, he's open. like Jalen. He's he's like a mini Jalen Waddle. He's like exactly. he's so so. You see how they got guys in the tank, and they're pulling guys out of the out of the stash, right? You know, and still on. making plays, still it chances to. So it's like, man, no, you just saw if anything how deep of a bag Nick Saban and Kirby Smart really have in his depth. I was seeing depth on both sides of the field. Like, man, we got some years before we can catch that because both of them had to go to it. You know, it's one thing that Georgia didn't have to go to their depth on Michigan. No, they took their foot off the gas in the third quarter. Alabama didn't have to go on depth on Cincinnati for real. Yeah. And, and, and it was even, it was no problem. They had to empty the tank on each other just to show you that this is what it takes to slug it out for all the marbles. A bunch of five stars, a bunch of depth, a bunch of NFL guys. And they made it so overwhelmingly competitive with top talent that the quarterbacks really didn't matter. Because at the end of the day, we saw Bryce Young that didn't look that athletic either. You know, Georgia was eating him up just as much. Well, they were eating him up just as much. But this is the thing. Georgia decided to be Georgia. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't come in trying to change schemes. and No, they decided, look, this is what we've done all year. Out physical and punish everybody. Punish the quarterback. We're going to come after him from the first play. And the only difference is we they just tackled. They just tackled. They just tackled. Now, now they, the Alabama's running back. <laughs> Oh, that, brother, that, brother was yeah. running, that brother was running with, with a problem on his shoulders. Yeah, especially there in the third quarter when he started to get revved up a little bit. <laughs> but that's what I'm – where did they get guys like that from? I didn't see no guy like that on no, no up-and-coming, you know, like senior tape. Like this guy was sitting on the bench behind – what was it, Derrick Henry? This is like his yeah. sixth year. Like he's been, he been there so long, hadn't played. You know, but it just go ahead, go ahead. But it's it's just crazy to see that if we had to play against either one of them teams in championship, it wouldn't be like that. You know, it wouldn't. I don't think we would have enough towards the end. Like when Alabama was running that ball third quarter, that's where a lot of teams tap out. That's where they tap out because it just becomes too much. You know, Evan Neal get the leaning on you. Then Brian Robinson finishing second and fives for first downs, running through guys. And then you got Bryce Young. The only difference was 
they couldn't finish with Bryce Young and the dominant receivers because they were hurt. Yeah, that red zone. Really, yeah, Alabama didn't skip a beat. They did the crush them on defense, crush them in the run game, put Bryce Young to put him in the coffin. They couldn't put Georgia in the coffin without those receivers, and they just stayed around. You know, they just stayed around. I don't, I don't think Alabama's defense was horrible. I think that after a while, when it was three to six, three to nine, all first half, it just gets real tense. You know, it gets real tense, and you start giving up 67-yard runs on an easy counter. You know, so something's got to break loose. And with all that talent in the field, it's just the narrative I feel like ESPN wants so bad is the the mailman going out there for a super-studded Hall of Fame team around them and coming out with the victory. You know, that's just corny, but that's what they want. <laughs> Isn't it amazing as much as you think you have problems? That's why, you know, growing up, people tell you to focus on your own problems because you never know what others are going through. Isn't it amazing to watch Georgia and Alabama have a DB that everybody targets? <laughs> the same issue, right? It's like, oh, they target Ringo? Okay. Oh, we're gonna target your freshman. Oh, they throwing at McKinstry. Okay, like, dude, every team, I think Bama was on like DBs four and five due to injury. Yeah, playing with playing with four and five, and, and those guys were playing great. Like the touchdown they threw us, testing through in the end zone. Number five was on it. The DB was on it. It was just a better play by the receiver. Better play. I'll tell you one thing, though. That stop and go that Burton put on, whoo, that was one of the <clears throat> Jackson, man, look, I was all for it. Jackson was like, no, no, you're not getting me. Nah, hey, I got to tell you, that dude grabbed him and then, and then tackled him. <laughs> he didn't just interfere. No, no, Burton, no, no. Burton put the stop and go on him. It was sweet, too. It was sweet. You, you see the stop and go went to the outside. He stopped and, and went inside. Could and I was like, yeah. But Jackson, Could he couldn't do anything. But you know what? That's just smart on his part to say, he got me. It ain't no, there's no way I'm letting him catch this ball. Because it's too open. Yeah. It's way too open. For a championship game, it's just way too open. You know. This is what I thought Georgia did. And people will talk about Stetson Bennett going four for four for 82 with two touchdowns after the fumble. Immediately after that, Georgia came out and they started getting five, six yards of pop in the run game. They strolled to run the ball the entire first half. It was almost like they said, you know what? We're about to seize control. In order to seize control of a football game, it's really about, man, we got to establish this this line, and then we can go play action and go over the top. Yeah, they went. They, they went all getting, passes. They went all yeah. play action with Stetson. All play action. Those those four big plays were all play action plays. You know, that's and, because they came out and established four or five yards of pop. Started to get the safeties to come up, and that's how I don't know where Pickens went. The big pass on the post to Pickens earliest because the safety was too busy peeking in the backfield. 
Yeah. McKinstry was uh, expecting help from the inside. Pickens just ran by him. Georgia never went back to him. Because they didn't have a quarterback to go back to him. They're like, we're not about to lose this. You know, we got one off. Let's let's eat on that. We don't want to keep trying to eat on relying on our guy, Stetson Bennett, to get us through the game. That's why he only had four attempts. But at the same time, too, is that the thing that Alabama does is wear people out with that run game in the third quarter. Georgia has a Hall of Fame defense, so held on long enough to flip, reverse the field, reverse the momentum, start running on them, and you saw Alabama bend a little bit and give way to having to sell out almost to the run because that once 48 got hurt, and it goes back into, you know, it's a part of the game, but when 48 got hurt, that was it. That was it. Now you got Zamir White, another five-star, who just, I mean, them running backs were running really, really you hard. Don't have no physical running back like that. Both teams you know. played really hard last night. You oh, saw. man, we were seeing tackles. I mean, number yeah. 18 yeah. on Jordan safety. Yeah. See, he coming, coming down, playing the down. I mean, he wasn't crushing Brian Robinson now. Brian no. Robinson didn't, but he was coming, though. Right. He was coming. But, I mean, Brian Robinson was throwing kids out of bounds. I mean, you can't match that physicality on any other squad in the country. I think we're – And you can't treat your program like a CEO and get that type of intensity on the field. No, 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 no. You can't. You wonder why – That type of intensity is paid and bought for. Right. You can't. That's that's why the NFL is like the NFL because that's paid and bought for – Intensity. Exactly. We it's not enough team spirit in college football to match that intensity. Right. Because at this point, they all know what they're playing for. This is like this is one of the, as a showcase, you know, for all those kids out there because they're all five stars potentially going to the league. So this is the ultimate game in a sense when you've bought and paid for the best talent in the world. That's what that looks like. Yeah. No team in the country can match that because they don't have that 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 level as ceiling of talent. I mean, you got Burton, Pickens, that whole secondary. You got the whole defense. I mean, who's surviving some of those hits by uh <laughs> by the Alabama DNs on a on a regular basis? I mean, they were popping, they were popping Bennett ass. This is man. It's a lot of it's a lot of respect that needs to go to Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young this morning for the hits they took and I mean, coming right speed, back. Off Dang. the edge. I mean, this was I mean, you couldn't USC could never hang in there with that. You know, that's why Miami looked so crazy at the very first game of the season. Because Alabama came out hitting like that. And they was just like, look. Miami just laid down. Yeah. <laughs> But it takes a Hall of Fame defense like Georgia to hang in there. It just it took it took that type of talent, those type of guys, five stars and above, to hang in there long enough to make some plays at the very very end. Yeah, by some other five star guys that's bought and paid for. If Alabama was healthy, everybody would say it would be a different story because that's how good they are. So you just saw what it takes if you want to do it right now, to win now, 
how much it costs and how hard you got to go out recruiting to have a chance still. I still think it was a chance that Georgia took advantage of the win. But they did it. They pulled it off. But it's that what Georgia has is hard to just copy all over the league because you don't got that much money. And you gotta you gotta Georgia just has the essence behind it. You know, you can't convince people at what uh Cincinnati, for instance, to to even build a team like that. Right. Who are you gonna pull a Jordan Davis from and get them going to Cincinnati? Ain't no chance unless you got millions of dollars, you know. And then where do you pull his backup Carter from that's going to block a field goal and, and play the entire third quarter so you can save Jordan Davis for the fourth quarter? The like, entire third quarter. So you want to know how I think Fausti would have a hard time starting on either side of that football lesson. Um, no, 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 no. No. I, I think Fosky would start – coming off the edge for for both teams for both teams but this is the crazy thing right <laughs> yo I'm watching the game and I see a true freshman for Alabama like that's what I'm talking about just that's wrecking, talking just about. wrecking and I'm saying to myself like dude this is when you and he wasn't up, small and he wasn't small he didn't look like no freshman no he didn't look small at all. He looked no. damn near bigger than 31. <laughs> Yo, and see, what I learned is what Notre Dame has to get to is what you talked about. We have to get screen poppers. We have to get more screen poppers. And then we have to have depth. If you're going to win that type of game, you have to have depth because at some point, attrition is going to take over. You're going to lose a Jameson Williams. You're going to lose a Robert Messi. You're going to lose a Mathis. And with losing all of that, Alabama still had a shot. (laughs) Alabama still had a shot. But it's the it's even crazy because the level of competition from the championship game and the other two playoff games was way different. Way different. It was too it was like incomparable. Like they had to go on a whole nother bracket and play a game because them two games was just in the way. It was two heavyweight boxers filling each other out. That's what the first half was. <laughs> Neither one of them wanted to get knocked out. So both of them. Yeah. It was like 50 seconds left, and Alabama was taking the knee. They said, we're going right. to have. We're going to go. With three timeouts. <laughs> With three timeouts. Nick Saban was like, man, let's just get to the half. Let's just get to that the was half. Hard. If yeah. it was anybody else, Nick Saban tries to score. Easy. They're, they're not thinking twice about it. Yeah. They would have They would have. They would have called a timeout, got the punt, and then tried to score. Right. He, he, wait, he said, look, we're going to take it all the way down. But but that's the type of defense that Georgia had. That's the first time I've seen a Nick Saban been worried. Yeah, where he's like, man, uh, I'm not gonna try it this time because when has he ever not tried? I mean, this team is used to putting up 55 on all good teams. So, but I, yeah, but the level of but the level of how different it is from a. Cotton Bowl playoff game, Orange Bowl playoff game, and that game. 
Man. That was a, that was a Sunday night football game. That wasn't no college football. That was a Sunday night football game with two so great teams. You felt like you were watching a level the real coach versus a level slightly below the NFL. That's the closest thing to the NBA G League you're gonna get. Studs and people look, and, the, and we're gonna talk about this, man, because today starts the path all college football teams to get to the ultimate goals and fulfill their goals. We talked about where Notre Dame was immediately after the Fiesta Bowl, and we were totally honest with the fan base. And now you look, it's bigger than the first game against Ohio level. And I'm glad Marcus Freeman went and changed the atmosphere and made it about competition because that needed to happen. Like I said, when you're treating Notre Dame and you're running the program and you're treating it like a CEO and you're treating it like a business, that doesn't translate when you get on the field. It just doesn't. Not in those type of matchups. Like, this isn't <laughs> they get, they get too overwhelming. There was times no. watching the one game where the running backs just had no chance. None. Big Jordan Davis be cutting through the through the O line for no yards, and I'm like, "This is Alabama getting zero yards on, on the rushing. Georgia getting zero yards on rushing because the D line just <clears throat> meeting them right there. I mean, that was just incredible. It was incredible, incredible to watch. That's why I said, how much? How much do you think it would cost to get a D line a D line like that at from Alabama to Georgia? Hey. That's one of the things that I've talked about. While everybody else talks about quarterback and wide receiver, I've been consistent all year talking about defensive tackles at Notre Dame. Like, it's cool to have Kurt Heinisch, but there's a whole nother level. Like, Kurt Heinisch and Jordan Davis, like that's a gap. Kurt Heinisch and Carter, that's a gap, my man. And we appreciate Kurt Heinrich, but man, look, if you want to get to a level to be able to compete with Alabama up front when they try to push you around and bully you and get you to lay down, if you don't have the horses, man, there's nothing you can do. When Alabama decided we're about to run the ball down their throats and establish our will on this game, if that was Kurt Heinrich in there for Georgia, Nothing. That was what are you going to do? Because Georgia was having a hard time Absolutely. for a second. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's another thing at that level of competition. You have to be mentally tough to not allow the ball game or that play to take over and snowball. Georgia knew Alabama was going to make big plays because they were being aggressive. But you have to let that play go. Yeah. And that's what really won them the game, especially early, is the fact that Bryce Young was making plays early with Jamison on the field, but they kept Alabama to field goals. Yep. They kept Alabama. Jamison Williams gets the big play. They held him to a field goal. Latu gets the big play down the left side. They held him to a field goal. 
I mean, Georgia's secondary in this game compared to last game was night and day difference. I mean, oh. a lot of those third down catches were contested. Uh, a lot of them were challenged. I mean, Bryce was getting hit. Even on the good passes Bryce had, he was getting hit, knocked over, hurried. So it wasn't like a clean pocket, which credit to Bryce. I mean, he stood in there at his at his size and was taking some shots and still being accurate. I mean, the corner he had to the tight end was deadly accurate. He took a shot on that, put him in position to go up in the, the game. Pass he had to number 11 in the end zone. All number 11 had to do was drag his toe. That's all he had to do. Done. Done. If he just drag, drags his toe, it's a touchdown. But he's a freshman. Yeah, for it, he wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for injury. So, you know, it just is a part of the game, and it just takes all of that for Alabama to lose. I just want people to know that. And I give credit to, we said, watch the young receivers of Alabama because they're going to be a part of this game and we want to see if they can make an impact and really see, you know, their development and whether or not Holman is somebody that you really want at Notre Dame. And you can tell that they're dangerous, but once again, man, they're just not Robert Meach, Mechie and Jameson Williams. They're just not. Now I do blame some of that on Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Not having – that greater play calls. What was it? What was it about Bill? Because I think Todd Munchkin had a horrible game as well. Because man, look, you're third and seven, and you got Brock Bowers running protection on a rollout on third and seven. That he was awful. He was awful yeah. until his back was against the wall in the fourth quarter. Awful. Yeah, and that's and that was it was a battle of awful offensive coordinators because realistically they definitely could have put up more points both teams in the first half. Like Steve Sarkeesian and his and what he called Alabama against Clemson, where they was just masterful with Devontae Smith and all the abilities he had being able to catch the ball and yeah. move the offense. I mean, that was him and Mac Jones was in sync. Bryce Young, I mean, you're throwing four verticals, three plays in a row on the last possession, it just didn't look like it was a lot of creativity involved in that crucial part of the game, which is how you're identified as an offensive coordinator in those, in those moments. And Bill O'Brien has never been one to really have the, the greatest uh, play calls when it mattered. And it just showed tonight. I mean, being able to put up 14 for Alabama team, even though it was against a great defense, that's, that's, that's not even Alabama-like in general. Usually you got to get to like 35, 40 to even beat an Alabama team, which Georgia got to 33. But Alabama, that's because Alabama scoring 30, 30, 40 points. For them to score 14 right. just shows that, yeah, Georgia's defense was tough, but some of them calls in the red zone, I thought they threw too many screens in the first half, and it just, it just ran out. I think he subconsciously got in his head that, man, these receivers are young. So I have to probably cut it, scale it back a little bit. But those receivers aren't just young. Those are young, talented receivers, too. And like we said, 84 is going to be a problem in the future. Uh, 11 is going to be good in the future. I mean, these are babies, and they were out there playing national championships. So just imagine next year the year after.
Yeah. I'm sorry, you still there, bro? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Lucky Lefty Podcast. I thought I lost you for a second. Sean Davis, Malik Zaire. Brought to you by Nora Whiskey at NoraWhiskey.com. Discussing the national championship game. And uh, I won't go some things that were said in the press conference. Um, normally I would have, but I'm on my backup. I'll be picking up my uh, my laptop is ready. It's fixed. So we'll have all our bells and whistles tomorrow. One of the things that Kirby Smart said was, and this applies to Notre Dame, I believe. He said the wind blows strongest at the top. And he was talking about the program now having to be in a space of being the prey and not the predator. Like the country is coming after them now and it's unfamiliar territory. And what it took to take that next step and Notre Dame Notre Dame is trying. The next step for Notre Dame is to get to a national championship game. Yeah, get like, to one. Notre Dame's gotten to the playoffs. Now we're trying to win a game in the playoffs, or heck, win a New York <laughs> a New Year's Six Bowl. Like that's the next yeah. step for Notre Dame. So the steps to get to that really start today. And I don't think if you've never been through it, Malik, you've been through it. You can't undersell how important it is when Matt Bayless is talking to the kids today saying, yo, what you do today is going to show up in January in the bowl game. Like, you can't undersell that. It's important. Kirby Smart said this wasn't his most talented team. I thought that was like, I was like, yo, this is a pretty good team you got, dude. You got 25 stars. He feels like the Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle team was actually his best, his most talented team. And he was just saying it's not always the most talented team in your program that wins the championship. Normally, it's the most special team. And that's two totally different things. Because he feels he feels like there's never been a team that he's had that's been as mentally tough and as together as this team but from a talent standpoint he's had more talented teams so that's what you're trying to create to be able to take that next step Notre Dame is trying to create that synergy of that most special team and that's that points to what you see the kids in a 2023 class creating and recruiting in the camaraderie when you see that before they even get to Notre Dame you're like, okay, that group can be a special group. When those kids get to Notre Dame, they can create a special synergy because of the relationship they already have. You don't just want a talented team. You need a special team to win a national championship. That's right. You definitely need a special team. And we knew from the beginning that Georgia defense was a very special team. Yeah, They played with a different kind of genesis qua when you watched them. It was more than just a defensive good team. It was a something about them is that you just couldn't take your eyes off of them. And they had the magic this year. I mean, it was just all cylinders were clicking. They wasn't skipping the beat. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing to watch, similar to the magic that Joe Burrow at LSU had. It was just something about watching them play where it was like they're just going to win. 
<laughs> they just it was special. I had no no doubt in my mind when they went against Clemson that they were going to win. That was like that's they just had too much going. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, they was doing the little dance and right. the defense. It was all type of big names and it was just a collective of uh, everything going the right way. Sometimes you need a little bit of that. I've never felt like we had some of that magic going into the playoffs or going into these bowl six. Even with the Oklahoma State game, I thought we were just a better prepared team. But I didn't feel like it was any necessary magic behind what we were riding on to get there. It looked like we were just riding on consistency. <laughs> you know what I mean? And which is which has been our plateau has maybe been consistency. Maybe one year we need a, a out of the ordinary year where we get a Heisman guy, where we get a number one scoring offense, where we get a outlier that can that can make something special about our team. And that's really what it's going to take and what we're looking for at this time. Because yeah. in the in the mix of everybody else, we can do what everybody else does and be better at them at that. But after seeing yesterday, there's a different lane that we have to cross over into. And it's and we see what it takes. You know, yeah. everybody thinks that it's not the quarterback. In our situation, it is the quarterback. Because I think it's harder to get the amount of depth in an aggressive physical D lineman than yeah. it is to be an all-star quarterback. You know, so I think we'll get there with Marcus Freeman. But it'll look different because we'll have more big time linebackers, I think, than they we will have D line necessarily. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we're gonna have to scheme because, like you said, I don't think we're able to load up and get depth like Jordan Davis and Carter <laughs> at defensive tackle, right? And then it's gonna be about speed. It's gonna be about those linebackers being able to rush the passer and being able to cover on the back end. Like, that's the next step as well. Like, well, Georgia got some young guys back there that were getting cooked. You know, they were, you know, they had some vulnerable moments, but. But you have to, if you're going to be an aggressive defense, you're going to get cooked. But how do you respond? Go to the next play. And ultimately, can you hold that great team to field goals? Like, if they make plays, just hold them to a field goal. Because if they're scoring touchdowns like they were in the SEC championship game, it changes the entire tenor of that game. But early on, they held them to field goals. They allowed themselves to settle down. They allowed Stetson Bennett to settle down. They got it to the fourth quarter. When the game was on the line, Georgia made the plays. Alabama didn't. Alabama had opportunities to make plays. They just didn't make the plays. They did make the plays. I mean, they dropped some crucial things. They, I mean, I thought they coached a good game and put the team in a position to win, but the players didn't necessarily make the the plays at the right time. But I didn't think Coach Saban got out coach where he made a bad coaching mistake necessarily. No, no. I think he just he just lost. You know, I don't. That's why I think that when they shook hands in the middle after the game, I didn't think Saban had any really tough feelings to where he felt like better about losing necessarily because it was just like man you you kicked the ass when you needed to I mean you did your thing you know I I didn't like I'm not kicking myself for being like I should have did something like in the Fiesta Bowl we pointed out there was some coaching things that maybe could have changed you know our situation but in a game like that I mean you just saw two Titans duke it out 
and the best man, best team won that day. It's the craziest. The craziest thing is you were asking Alabama. This podcast, I don't know about anybody else. This podcast told you from day one that Georgia was the best team in the country. Yeah. And we told you there was something special about this Georgia team. Even with Stetson Bennett at, at quarterback, we were like, yo. Hold him down because they were they had Jake Fromm and a similarly built team, but it wasn't like this year's team. It just had a different vibe. And you were asking Nick Saban, as great as he is, you were asking Nick Saban to beat a special team twice. Not once, but twice. And, and he was too bad the first time and really turned them up. Like, I think if they, if they lost that close game in the first one, Alabama would have had a mental edge over them in the second one. I think they just embarrassed them so bad in that first game. They was like, we're not taking that shit. And it, bro, let me be honest with you. That game was really about the – if you ever watched, wanted to watch a game where it was literally about the players on the field, there That's was the no scheme. Ain't, there was no scheme. This no. ain't about scheming people open. On, no, no, no. Who's going to make the plays? That's it. That's what that game was about last night. That was it. Going to make the plays. Because even with both offensive coordinators being horrible. It didn't matter. It still came down to who was going to make the plays. He had to make that counter 67 yards on his own. Absolutely. And then you look at the first half. I think they were down in the red zone. Uh, It was a second down. Tyndall misses his assignment. Nicobe Dean sees him miss his assignment and yeah. catches up the lat to knock the ball down and then turns around and claps in his face like, yo, wake up. Yeah. No, straight up. Up. People don't see special plays like that. Like, yo, small plays like that in a game like that. Players made plays all yeah. night long. And maybe you missed some of the small ones that meant something. But all night long, you saw two teams that were all about forget the scheme, the playbooks, throw all of that out the window. Players make plays. Like Georgia probably thought they had a great play on the first offensive play. They go play action. Will Anderson is like that ain't what that ain't nothing. I, I mean, crush the whole. I'm gonna crush the whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> like I don't care. Do it on the reverse. Right. Do it on the reverse. Crush the whole reverse. And and Christian Wilkie's number eight. Crush the whole thing. You crush the Christian whole Harris. Thing. Yeah, Christian, Christian Harris. Harris. Crush the whole thing. So and but like we said, that's what bought and paid for talent looks like. Yeah, that's beyond a recruiting pitch. That's beyond offering you some stuff on campus. That is hard earned money. Facts put into a great investment. That's it. That's the secret. That's why Nick Saban said, "Okay, y'all." Y'all done, y'all done, y'all better fix these rules. Yeah. Because I just lost to Georgia now, and I'm about to take their strategy. I'm about to just start buying people. Yeah. Yeah. And y'all can't do nothing about it. Right. And it's going to be more unfair. <laughs> he, he, he put the world on notice. He put college football on notice. I and got it, it, it right. It, if Stetson can get it done, I ain't trying to hear no Tyler Buckner, not this that or the other. Tyler definitely better than Stetson. I ain't even trying to hear no debate. 
on that in no type of way. I mean, you put 25 stars around Tyler Buckner, I believe he can win a national championship too. Straight up, I believe, Gavin, you could win one with 25 stars behind you. Think about it. We know Tyler Buckner's better. Uh, Stetson Bennett's, what, 5'9", they said? Yeah. Five, man, yeah, he's he's like five oh, nine one. He's literally the mailman. He's the guy that delivered yeah. your mail today. That's the yeah. size of the, guy, the quarterback that won that championship. So yeah. yeah, if you put twenty five stars around that kid, or your mailman that delivers your mail today, <laughs> you can make something happen. Yeah, because who else is catching that post like Pickens in the country? Name one. <laughs> Okay, okay. You can't name a guy catching that post like pickets in the in the country. So come on, I'm not trying to hear. Uh David Jones. Yep, you don't need the greatest quarterback in the country. You need to be a quarterback that can effectively and accurately get the ball to your playmakers. That's what Georgia did last night. I think people are like overlooking. <laughs> like, yo, I we. It's too much being made of Stetson Bennett. <laughs> Prisoner of the moment. Like Stetson Bennett has rolled the coattails of that entire team all year long. Like we got to relax. Because yeah. I don't want undue he pressure. Up for no awards. He I don't want this no man Heisman. to put undue pressure on Tyler Buckner. That's totally yeah. unfair. Totally unfair. Totally unfair. Do not expect this dude to come out in the horseshoe expecting them to look like Georgia. And it's like, no, this is, man, this this transformation, it's not about to happen like that. That's going to be his first career start. Like, we got to relax. We have to be, we got to relax. We got to relax. Marcus Freeman is going to up the game when it comes to five stars at Notre Dame. We already yeah. see that. If if we not if we gonna get quarterbacks like Stetson Benson, then it pretty much if that's how we gonna recruit quarterbacks. Then Marcus Freeman's job is get a bunch of nasty five stars. That's it. And Stetson Bennett did not start the season at the starter. Yeah, he didn't even when they in like quarterback. Jt, came, you know? JT Daniels was the starter and got hurt and never got the job back. Why? Because Kirby just rolled like, with him. He had a special team. Yeah, he's like, we don't need a quarterback for real. The, so. He knew the quarterback wasn't going to make that much difference. And like Stetson Bennett said last night, after that fumble, I told myself, I'm not going to be the reason we lose this game. He knew it. He knew if Georgia was going to lose last night, it was going to be because of him. That's the only way they could lose that game last night. With Alabama being down three of his best players. The only way Georgia could lose that game is if Stetson Bennett gave it to them. That's the yeah. only way Georgia was going to lose. That's not a quarterback I want on my team. Yeah, that's not a quarterback I want on my team that knows that the game is in his hands because he's that liable. <laughs> like all of a sudden, <laughs> you look at the rest, look at the rest of the quarterbacks that won. National championships, and just because hey, not one of them before, said no shit like that before. Now it's not like one oh, of them we, said we can go win a quarterback with anybody. No, that's not how that works, man. That is not that's not how that works. Yeah, it's, it's not how it works. And then you put undue pressure 
on Tyler Buckner, like, okay, we can win a court. We can, now we can win a title. Forgetting the fact that what's around Tyler Buckner. Did, did we ever think about that? Like, it just, it's not the Georgia doesn't have a Brady Lindsay. Georgia doesn't what you trying have. To say? Wait a minute. What are you trying to say there? I want to get clear. Well, Georgia doesn't have a, a speed guy necessarily. They just got talented receivers. You know, okay. like we have, we have, Utility guys like Ray Lindsey's our post guy, go deep guy. George Pickens is an all-around deep threat. Yeah, Jermaine Burton can do it all for you. You know what I mean? So we have more specialized talent. Like we have Kevin Austin is only doing one or two things. Avery Davis is only doing one or two things. But Georgia got George Pickens. Yeah, and he can do it all. So I got David Jones. Also, with Holman Wiggins being one of the leading candidates for Notre Dame wide receiver coach, what are your thoughts about how Bama's wide receivers played last night? I I thought, look, I know I saw enough to say, okay, this young batch is they're gonna be a problem. Yeah, it's going back, it's going back to like you said, this was not even about coaching. No this was players on the field and who was better last night. That's it. The coaching puts you in position. To they make got you play. to the game. Go do what we paid you for. That's it. And they That's went it. out there and played like they was getting millions of dollars. I think that I think the receiver coach coming to Notre Dame, it would just be different because we don't have a room like that. Yeah. So we didn't really get to see too much coaching on display necessarily in the receiver part. Because they was catching a bunch of bubbles and goals, but they was, you know, talented. Yeah. I think he would have his work cut out more getting that type of culture in our room, which makes it an uncomparable situation. I hope he would just bring a bunch of tape he could steal from him right. and bring the tape over and be playing the tape over and be like, look, this and this and this. But other than that, I mean, we don't have the same talent in the rooms. So – It'll just be a different. Shout out to Adam Zillick. Thank you, man, for tapping in. Do you think Coach Freeman just drove down to Indy to interview Holman? Or do you think they bring him up to South Bend? I think those conversations have taken what took took place prior to the game. And if he's still interested. then they probably meet face-to-face. Marcus Freeman got the money to fly down there, fly him up here, one or two. Man, fly. I mean, that's a quick drive, however he wants to do it. Save save your gas. You know how how expensive gas for the PJ is? Oh, oh, you said he's still in Indiana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shoot, man. Man, you put that PJ on hold. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were for another trip. Just go ahead, hop in the suburban, the Tahoe, make it happen. You know, get you a suite somewhere, have them walk over and meet you at the suite. Yeah, they lost, so it ain't like he's going anywhere. He really just yeah, they're still there this morning. <laughs> they just yeah, last like night, chill. so they're still there this morning. Uh, let's see.
I know we had a couple of Juan said, "Thanks, Juan, for tapping in. Five play, five star players are irrelevant. What you really need is top one hundred players. Well, most five star players are top one hundred players. They're the top like, of the top one hundred players. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen a five star that's like two hundredth in the country. I haven't. No. Andy has just. And he's saying that he needs the quantity needs to be within the top one hundred. See, first of all, can we can we can we explain this again? I don't care how many NFL players Notre Dame has; they don't have the same amount of first round talent yeah. as Georgia and Alabama. We'll stop this. Yes, we know Notre Dame is like fourth or fifth in producing NFL players. They're going to have to draft more than just round, two people on both teams. <laughs> absolutely. When it comes to producing elite first-round talent, Notre Dame is – there's a tremendous gap between yes. them, Alabama, and Georgia. Who stops? Yes. That's, that's stop minimizing how important it is to have lead talent on the roster. Yeah, not lead players that develop oh, and have great careers. And, you know, we're talking about coming out of the stable – into the league. What are we talking yeah. about? Can you, imagine, can you imagine if Clarence Lewis had gotten hurt in the Fiesta Bowl? Now, if we had if we had nobody that could go in for Clarence Lewis in the Fiesta Bowl, if he gets hurt, yeah, who are we putting where's in? Your depth? Who are we putting in? Where's your depth? How did the safeties look in the Fiesta Bowl? Because you're one dominant safety. We looked at two teams last night that had safeties running around the field too deep all night long. Alabama, Alabama played three more games and had more people healthy than we did getting ready for a bowl game in January 6th. Oh, this is crazy. Like, what, what are we missing? Like, Notre Dame is a team that if you take away the two playmakers that they have, you see what happened. Yeah, we, we lost we seven on seven team. And you want to make a statement like five stars are irrelevant. If they're so irrelevant, then why are the two teams with the most five stars in their roster in the championship game if they're irrelevant? We gotta get why real. are they irrelevant? We got to get real, family. Come on. We got to get – I mean, we have to be honest because we keep trying to look at this game and say – Oh, okay, Notre Dame can do this. No, Notre Dame needs to go and get elite five-star players and elite four-stars and up the game of the roster and improve the depth. That's it what they need to. to do. Like, we can no longer be taking – look, we've seen what it takes. We've seen and what it takes. We day. just refused. Last night, fans were all over social media. Well, you know, if you're taking – a Fencing classes and, and knitting classes, you know, you can be in the weight room. Oh, yeah, I saw all of that too. I saw all of that too. Yeah, no, no, no let's not do that. Last I checked, Kavari Russell sat out over a scandal for having his work done at Notre Dame. See, so like we want to act like everybody else is dirty and has scandals, but we, we forget about the things in our own backyard. 
It's like, look, man, relax. relax. I ain't never seen Georgia go down with an academic scandal. <laughs> so. It was an academic scandal that ended Lou Holtz's reign with players going on trips with somebody in the administration. We forget about that. That big scandal. That's what really started to end Lou Holtz's reign because the administration turned on him. I ain't never heard of that at no Georgia. Oh, dude. It's like, man, relax. We understand the difference between a private institution like Notre Dame and a public institution like Alabama and Georgia. But we have to stop grabbing this low-hanging fruit that elite players don't want to go to class. They don't want to come to Notre Dame. All that stuff. It's plenty of smart kids that will do their work and put in the work on the field and off the field and be good fits at Notre Dame. But even, even more real than that, even if they aren't, so what? We, you know, so what? You not you not responsible for their grades or their their career after, but if they Man. can get in and help the the team that you cheering for, that benefit is gonna stick with them enough, just like a degree would, just like some grades would. But you'll have some more championships and what? So I don't know why people care so much about how smart the kids are because at the end of the day, Notre Dame don't even let valid Victorians in anyway. So so smart kids can't get in, dumb kids can't get in. So both ways don't work. So even the smartest of the smart can't get in. And you already think that dumb kids can't get in. So and don't be this. Um, yo, I saw a clip of, uh, I forget his first name, but the whole, the Valenti show up in Detroit, right? And this this Michigan fan calls in after the Georgia game and, and starts talking about, you know, it's cool because we have a 27% acceptance rate. Start talking about how great of an academic institution Michigan was. And, you know, if this is what it is, then, you know, I'm not sacrificing who the university is for a win on the field. And Valenti went ham on was like, dude, this is why you'll continue to suck. And I totally agree. Like, as a fan base, it's cool to love who you are as a university academically. But on Saturdays, I don't give a darn about your GPA, man. I don't. And on Saturdays, there's no reason a Mac school should be coming in giving us a fourth quarter game. We don't forget that's the next step, bro. Forget the national championship and beating Alabama and Georgia. Can we bang up on the Mac when they walk into Notre Dame Stadium consistently? That's what I want to see next. That's all I want to see next. Can we get a team that can embarrass the Mac teams that walk into Notre Dame Stadium and stop making it a second half game? You want to talk about the next step in the program? That's the next step. You're on mute, bro. I think you're on mute. Because Georgia and Alabama would never, ever, ever be close with the Mac. Never, no. ever, ever, ever. No. Not at home. At Not home. at home. Like, that's the next step. Right there. Banging teams that you're supposed to bang. Getting them out of the way. Getting them out of the way early. Getting your second team some reps so they can be prepared for tough games down the road. That's where you get your depth from. You don't get debt with your first team having to struggle with Toledo at home. 
So we're That's sitting here talking about Tyler Buckner can win a championship. How about taking the next step of being a dominant team against lesser teams? Can we take that step? Can we solve that? That's the step. That's can the step we, we need. Can we solve that? That's the next step that we need to solve. After that, we'll get to Ohio State, all those other teams when the time comes. I need to do Brigham Young. We faced BYU. Virginia put up almost 50 points on them. I don't want a close game with BYU. Well, they're a good team. They're not on the same level as Notre Dame. They're not. No, no, no. Yeah, we got to stop giving that they're a good team additive. No. No. <laughs> no. No. Not where we're trying to go. That not is the next step. Lee Marie says uh, she's down there in Georgia, bro. You sound petty about Bennett. What matters here is that his team loves him. He's an example of want to, will do, and can do. His team wouldn't love him. First of all, if his team loved him so much, he should have started in the very beginning. They should have been vying for him to start. They should have been like, yeah, like Vincent, Bennett, he's the guy. JT, we never should have had him, whatever. Second of all, they wouldn't have loved him if they lost that game. You think they loved him after that SEC game? You think they was rallying around him or they was like, okay, we're going to stick by you because you're our teammate, but you won't notice. You won't notice. You don't, You heard what he said in the – you heard what he said in the interview. Yeah, um, after that fumble, I didn't want to lose because of me because he knew who was going to be knew. He knew. All that love and all that, all that crime, he would have been doing it. And the Georgia fans would have been hating on him, talking about he's a walk-on. Uh, so, yeah, he spoiled to the victory because he won. So we could would have, could have it all day. But we all know how how how, how much his value would have been if they lost that game. So Max. whatever. <laughs> Alex B is also crazy. Kirby Smart recruits five stars at literally every position, every position, and almost let a walk-on quarterback be the reason they lost. Stetson was definitely pooping himself in the first. Man, it was so yeah. bad. And I was, running. I was running the game in the studio uh, here locally. And people don't know, like, halfway through the third quarter, because I wasn't listening to the TV feed. JT Daniels was warming up. Yeah. They were trying to take his – yeah, come on now. Like, like JT Daniels was warming up. Like, Kirby <laughs> – This is why I hate Kirby these almost pulled the trigger. This is why I hate these narratives that ESPN be sensationalizing for our fans. It's because they dream up these Drew Pine narratives that he's going to come out of the shadows under the bus of the depth chart and rally us against a historic defensive team. Stop it. Stop it. No, it's not possible. What you saw last night is closer to a mirage than it is realistic. We're I'm not counting on no skill level of a Stetson Bennett Benson Benier Benoit <laughs> to lead our team to a national championship. Stop it, man! If we're not hitting the Bryce Young talent portal, if we're not getting that level, we're not winning it because we are not recruiting those type of D lines at Notre Dame. It's just not, it's, it's more possible for a quarterback than it is for that. So let's, let's stop the, stop it. 
We saw what happened in 2012 when we tried to build an Alabama D-line. Alabama showed us what it was like. We tried to go big like Alabama and Georgia 2012. <laughs> it was and was junior varsity to it when we saw the real thing. So that's not our game. It's not. It's so, not. I think the right guard, Alabama was targeting the right guard all night. All <laughs> yeah, with night. the slants and the stunts. I, I don't know what I don't know what made Todd Munchkin think. It was a good idea in the first half to try and protect Stetson Bennett with a pulling guard against Will Anderson. You no. know, you got this dude, and you trying to pull a guard out to block him. He was whiffing, whiffing. So you know what? You know what Georgia did? Only because you know Notre Dame doesn't have the depth to do this. Georgia <laughs> took Salyer, their starting left tackle, moved him to right guard. And brought in a red shirt freshman at left tackle. <laughs> That's the depth that Georgia had. They made, they said, you know what? This dude is stinking. They identified something that Notre Dame should have done all year with 62. They should have adjustments. In-game adjustments. Like they took their best offensive lineman and kicked him inside so that they could get the next best offensive lineman. Which played the same position at left tackle. Mid game. And away they went. And all of a sudden they start running for four or five yards a pop. <laughs> Dude, Notre Dame doesn't have the depth to do that. And that's something Harry He stands gonna have to do. He's gonna have to build that depth back up to whereas you have a Ronnie Stanley who's red shirting. You have a Quentin Nelson that's red shirting. And if something happens, you can move them up. Yeah, that's what Notre Dame has to get back to. It's not just about making the current players and the youngsters better. It's about recruiting the depth and behind them, so that and if that's, necessary, that's changes need to be made. Teams are masterful. masterful. And this wasn't like made after watching film in between games. This was like second half. Like, oh no, we we are not. This dude can't play tonight. This ain't a game for him. And Yankson, and, and Yankson. Like this they don't care nothing about that because they like, won. I'm trying to hurt your feelings, man, but this game ain't for you. Ain't for you. And, and that's a game where the, the cream rises to the top. You can't be out there. 62 wouldn't have made it past the first half. Man. We would have we would have had to. Uh, 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 uh. Can you imagine you, Kane Madden playing against Madden last night? <laughs> it was about players. And if you wasn't one of the best players in the country, you couldn't hang. It was like playing on the big boy court. You couldn't even. We can't even pass the ball to you. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta wait till the next run or something. That's what it was like. Man, Brian Meadows, thank you for tagging in, man. We appreciate you. All the way from Georgia. Say he's a Georgia fan. Grew up in Georgia, played high school ball in Georgia as a Notre Dame fan. All right. So I love my dogs, too. I'll take the natty anytime. Now it's Notre Dame's time to go. Time. Go Irish. Go dogs. That's what's up. We appreciate you, Brian. Tyler Evans. Elkhart, thanks for tapping in. Elkhart. 
And Tom Ballard, what's my guy? How you doing today, Tom? We have some decent depth, but those Georgia backups are some serious dudes. Not much drop off. See that? That's <laughs> that. You, we have decent depth. Decent. They're convincing guys that are should be starters to be backups. Like, man, you know why? Because it's an atmosphere of competition, bro. And when it comes down to it, people respect competition. You respect when somebody's better than you. Yeah. And more than likely, that's going to drive you to wait for your opportunity or either drive you to be better than them, which means you have to stay. But when there's no real atmosphere of competition where there hasn't been at Notre Dame previously, then you see people saying like, man, I'm not getting a real shot. I'm out of here. That's how you can tell if it's not competition. You see a bunch of transfers. Like, I'm not getting a real shot, so I'm out of here. You know? You know what the coolest thing I saw last night that let me know it was a family? Alvin Kamara was on the Alabama sideline, bro. That's real. That lets me know. Like, he, he was in that running back room, and he still they still treat him like he's Alabama family. That's Even though real. he transferred to Tennessee. And went crazy to Tennessee. They like, they like, yo, you still family, bro. We yeah. get it. The running back yeah. room was you had to do what you and had to do. On the sidelines during the game. We could never get on the sideline during the game. You crazy. Right. They 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 kept us so they kept us like we was fans. If you was an really? old player, you couldn't get on no sideline like that. You was. I was thinking you know, about that. Like, if that was Notre Dame, would you see the same amount of? Oh, hell no, hell no. They got they got Quavo out there throwing the pickings in the warm ups. You know what I mean? Right. Crazy. They got Alvin Kamara standing right next to the chain game during the game. How you how you were the first down? It's like you supposed to be backing up. Like you ain't Notre Dame. Be- Notre Dame would have what Hannah Storm throwing to somebody on the field. Before the game or something like that? How you by the field goal getting hit by the footballs at the field goal net, you know, because you were so out the way, you know, you got to back up. Oh, man. It's crazy. Treat Marcus Freeman, man, treat the players right, man. Let the players sit, you know, right on the on the sideline like they used to, man, you know. Michael Johnson, I'm mad because I'm behind. He said their team, that team beat us by six. I don't know. I, I guess – I think he's referring to Georgia, but that's not the same team. See, once again, you're looking at the talent. And we're looking at, like, teams. It's not about talent. What you saw last night was a special Georgia team. That defense, I don't know if if Notre Dame puts up six points on that that Georgia defense. I'm talking about Jack Cohn. We don't have enough attitude. That's a different – that's a different beast. You think Jack Cohn surviving the game, taking all those shots? Come on. You do. Come on. To Will Anderson and, and number 15. I'm trying number to think. 38, number 90. <laughs> I mean, the whole, I mean, number 10, number the linebacker for Alabama was going crazy. Number 10 was sticking, folks. Jordan yeah. Battle? Jordan Battle? And see, this is why more than likely Caleb Williams is headed to USC. Jackson Dart. 
Jackson Dart into the transfer portal yesterday, right? So we all see it coming. But I'm not worried about Caleb Williams because they don't have anything in the trenches. They have nothing. They had all this talent on the outside, Caleb Williams, and they're going to get dominated in the trenches. Nominated. So Caleb Williams is going to be running for his life when he plays Notre Dame. And he's yeah, only there he's for four gonna, years. He's so, definitely going to uh, have a challenge the whole game dealing with our defense, being that we're going to be able to show him different looks and hit him with different pressures considering the fact that he's not going to have the O-line Alabama does that can just adjust on the fly and – I mean, eliminate blitzes. Even though Georgia was coming all game, Bryce still was having some time. Yeah, It wasn't like Georgia was overwhelming Alabama's O-line. No, they was blocking them. Right. They may not have blocked them. They may, they may have blocked them for an NFL play, but they had them, you know, enough for Bryce to get the ball off. So it wasn't like they had Bryce running for his life. They was just getting to Bryce because they're a great team. But it wasn't like they couldn't handle it. So in a situation with us in SC, we're going to have Caleb Williams running around, which is what he's good at. Yeah. But can he do it for four quarters? We'll see. I'm think already so. thinking he's going to go to SC. Yeah. I see some things in the chat. I hope people are not really trying to say that Stetson Bennett is a better quarterback than Bryce Young. I hope you're better than that. I really hope that's not the direction you're trying to go. Come on, people. That's something else I wanted to point out. This is from Kirby Smart after the game. Even with all the injuries, and there were tough injuries that they had to endure, they had a chance because they have the best two players in college football. And when when Kirby Smart said that, I said to myself, this dude is right. I never thought about that. Like, with all of that being said, as much as they lost, as they lost due to injury, they were in the game because they have the best defensive player and the best offensive player in college football. So that's the type of talent Marcus Freeman has to go get. Like, yes, go get a dude that can win the Heisman and go get a dude that's definitely a number one pick from the defensive side. Because Will Anderson, I don't know what Chad Hutchinson was doing in New York. I'm going to keep saying that to the cows come home. He had no business in New York. None. None. He was a paper candidate, dude. Paper candidate. No reason for New York. There's no way you watch Chad Hutchinson against Georgia and watch Will Anderson against Georgia and think, man, these two guys are similar. There's no way. You know, Aiden should have just been holding the door open for uh, Will Anderson to step out their limo at New York because there's no way, like you said, he should have been there. And he was just on display last night because just the impact he was having on the game, yeah, he wasn't making a ton of sacks, but he was in Bennett's face and had him worried all night. The amount of times Bennett was taking so many drops deep in the pocket – 15, 20 yards away from the line of scrimmage is no coincidence. Christian Harris and, and Will Anderson and 15 and just the pressure they was creating in that front seven, I mean, is is a reason why Kirby Smart in the first half said, we're shooting ourselves in the foot with all these penalties. Yeah, they was a little nervous. 
They was getting popped in the mouth, getting false yeah. starts, getting five yard penalties, a hold in here, something here. So they was fighting, getting over that. We're playing the beast uh, in the championship, and then the second half they got over it and proved to be victors. Yeah, I got ND for life. Thank you for tapping in. Good morning, LL Nation. How would our O line stack up the Georgia's D line? Those are some big dudes. Thank you, greatest channel on YouTube by far. We appreciate you for that, man, so much. Uh, we're not ready. I'll just. Say I think that. our O line will hang in there. We don't have the trigger man to support no. that O line hanging no. in there, but we'll Bro, no. we'll hold up against most teams. No, no, you just oh, looking man. at talent. You just looking at talent, bro. This is year after year of best on best, iron sharpening iron, bro. It's gonna take a year or two. You gotta let. By the time Blake Fisher and Joe Alt get to their junior year, and they've gone up against the number ones, and they've gone up against recruits like Jalen Sneed and Keon Keeley on a daily basis, making them better. Evan Neal has faced Will Anderson in practice for two years, my dude. Yeah, two years. NFL, is he's going to be good in the NFL. He's straight. He's he's played against the best defensive player for two years. That's what Notre Dame has. That's why depth is so important. And why it shows up on Saturdays. Because every day, your best players make each other better. From a talent standpoint, yeah, we're good. But that talent has to re be refined and crafted and molded. And the best way to do that is by competition. And we're going to have to wait for that to take hold on these guys. Maybe by the end of the year. They'll be straight. You kick Josh Lug inside, you're going to have depth this year. That's one thing we can say. We're going to have depth. We got Shrouth coming in. Lug, uh, Lug goes inside. Fisher on the right side, all on the left. Christophe See, we, but, but, you, but you, you're, giving the, you're giving me the perfect reason why we'll be – we can hold up. Now, I'm not Bro, saying we're going to kick that ass. Listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> Jared Patterson has been going up against Kurt Heinisch for three years, bro. Do you understand how eye-opening that first series against Jordan Davis is going to be? Do you, do you understand how that first snap is going to be when he has to push that big dude? And he's like, you know what? This is a different beast than Kurt Heinisch. It's a I'm, not, I'm not hearing that because we blocked Aaron Donald. Dude, stop. 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 <laughs> we Stop. We had Aaron Donald. Stop. Bro, Aaron Donald is still like two. Aaron Donald was at like 285 at Pitt. <laughs> this man, this man, I didn't say this kid, this man is 350. Yeah, that's a big dude. Kurt Heinis is like 290. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> nah, bro. It's, that's. You have to be able to see that every day to be able to deal with it. Yeah, that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to deal with, man. And so when you increase the talent in the program, that's why I say you have to get big-time defensive tackles in this program. You have to, man. It's you cool that the linebackers yeah. in the speed on the back end, a defensive back and safety, rover, all of that. That's cool. At the end of the day, the trenches, 
you got to have some horses, man, right? Because Michigan, wait, Michigan did. Michigan won the best old. They were the best old line. They won that award, right? But we're not gonna be that type of. We are three. We are three down lineman defense. So now this this is my point though. They won the Joe Moore Award, which is the best. I think they won it, which is the best O line in college football. Yeah. But all they had been facing was their defensive line and Big Ten defensive lines. And the first series after they tried to block Georgia, they came to the sideline and told their coaches, like, no, this is something different. Like all that scheme and leverage y'all been teaching us. <laughs> All that, all that sounds good. <laughs> these, these are some monsters on the other side. Like you have to have something else, another well or another reserve you can go to that's only built up by competition and going up against those type of dudes every day. That's the only way you can get it. That's the only way you can get it, man. So, man, as we improve the recruiting, yeah, the O-line should be good. But – Man. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, this is funny. I get, please, I, Juan, yo, it's the day after your birthday. So I hope, I hope you're sober. I hope you're good. I, I don't know how good. you, I don't know what you're saying right here. Saying, yes, sir, Malik, look at what VTech did with Mike Vick. He was a one-man show and almost won a chip all by himself. First of all, I hope you're not trying to compare Michael Vick to Stetson Bennett. I don't think no, you are. No, that's not, that's not the right comparison. I hope you're not trying to compare Tyler Buckner to Stetson Bennett. No. He's not that dude. Like, And I don't see a Michael Vick in the 2023 recruiting class for quarterback. <laughs> so – as, as as much as I love the kids at that position, I do. That's a now, generation one-on-one. Notre Dame with a Mike Vick is a different team now. Real man, he's my favorite player, man. See, this is what's what I'm see. This is why, you know, real sports talk with Alex. Felt like Bryce Young didn't want to be there. He looked awkward every time he goes down or misses a play. Kind of overreacted for a Heisman. What are we? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? How do you over? Do either you put the stats up or you don't? How do you overreact for a Heisman? I think. Uh, I think I told you like in the beginning of the show. I just I was just saying that. I didn't think Bryce was ever that athletic, you know, to begin you know, with. You said so, that you said that recently a lot. So it's like from a an opportunity to get away from, you know, people like Georgia. He has no he's like Ian Book ran against Clemson last year or two years ago. It's just, you know, I wasn't expecting that aspect to be shown by Bryce because I know he didn't really have that. Not like a Caleb Williams would. So, yeah, if they're going to get to him and beat on him. But, you know, I thought it was still a Heisman opportunity for Bryce because he was still dropping dimes through the midst of all of that. So I wouldn't call it any overreaction. If anything, 
you just saw him be shut down to being one dimensional and he was still pretty good at it. He just didn't finish the game on it. But, you know, I don't think he was a, a I think he was still deserving of being the Heisman. Yo, Bryce has nothing to do with your DBs being bad at that point. Nothing. It has nothing to do with that. Like you said, he threw the pass to the left side of the end zone. All the receiver has to do is drag his feet, drag his toe. It's a touchdown. A jai crossing route. I mean, he was putting it on the on the <laughs> stand, dude. He stands in the pocket because he's small in stature too. Yeah, he's little. And he's thin. And he's like, you know, he's more thin than Tua was. He stands in the pocket, just moves to the right just a little bit to give himself some time to give a job opportunity to come across on the deep uh, crossing route. Lays it over the DB's head, first down at the two-yard line. He drops the ball. He drops the ball. Georgia goes up. They score the touchdown. He comes right back. Leads in the midfield, throws a dime to Brooks. He drops the ball. He goes up with one hand. It's like, what What do you want him to do? He's already down his best two receivers. And he's yeah. still dropping dimes. And the guy, we keep saying, and it's the same thing with Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, which I don't go for that low-hanging fruit of Marcus Freeman didn't do this, Marcus Freeman didn't do that. Look, as a coach, all you want to do is put your players in position to win the game in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame had an opportunity to win the game in the fourth quarter, and they failed twice. Twice. Oklahoma State, their defensive players made the necessary plays. That's it. Last night. Alabama, minus their two best receivers, had an opportunity to win the game in the fourth quarter, and their players didn't make plays. That's it. That's all that happened. That's all that happened. And and, and that's just what happens when good goes versus good. It just comes down to just somebody made a play and somebody different. When you're playing against teams that aren't that great overall, you can point to a lot of different things. They didn't eat the right thing for training table or pregame meal. They didn't tape the right ankle. The coach didn't sip his coffee to make his coffee the right way. So right. there's a bunch more excuses that you can make for teams that aren't that good. Yeah. But when you get a team like Georgia versus Alabama, that's just a, a game you just got to appreciate and watch. That's all, man. As a Notre Dame fan base, that's what I really hope we take from that. Is an appreciation for what it takes and an appreciation for understanding where we're at, which is compared to where we're at is something to be thankful for Hmm. and grateful for, right? Because, in my opinion, if you put Notre Dame in the SEC, they're the third best team in the SEC. That's my opinion. Well, it'll be interesting to see what we look like taking a schedule like that every week. I mean, but that changes our that that would change our dynamic recruiting as well. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying. So, I take with a grain of salt, but I truly believe Notre Dame will be the third best team in that conference, right behind Georgia and Alabama. Can you imagine 
Marcus Freeman walking into somebody's home, being able to say we in the SEC. I mean, that that put us up there quick. Absolutely. So with all of that being said, it's like, yeah, there's a ways to go, but I'm very grateful as a Notre Dame fan for where we are. Yeah. Because I know where we've been if we go back 12 to 15 years. So as a fan base, heck yeah. It's like, man, you look at those two teams and say, man. But then you look at where we are and say, you know what, but I'm happy where we're at. I'm happy we have Marcus Freeman leading the way. And I think brighter days are ahead, and we're going to get it done. I think we're going to get it done. Super chat, Patrick Barnes. Sean, look a lot better if he took off his socks hat and put on a Cubs hat. Don't ever, dis- don't ever disrespect me like that. <laughs> I'm a Not with the Cubs hat. I'm a G, bro. Let me tell you how much of a G I am, bro. I've never set foot in Wrigley Field. Ever. No, you haven't. I've never. I've been invited. <laughs> I've been invited to rooftops. I've been invited to suites. I've been given offer tickets. I would never you walk never into go. Wrigley Field. Never <laughs> set foot in Wrigley Field ever. Even the suites, you denied the suites. Never. No, you didn't deny the sweets. Never. <laughs> Never. Do you come on, bro? You know how many t- t- opportunities I get to go to Wrigley Field? Oh my God. Hey, every, what, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? like, man, you man, I got some tickets for the Cubs game. <laughs> and you know what makes it worse? They know <laughs> they know I'm a Sox fan. <laughs> <laughs> and they really ask you. Come on, man. Yeah. And you like, you like, man, you know I ain't going to Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, it's just a game. Like, man, are you crazy? No. Just a game. No. Practice. No. <laughs> no. And they shouldn't want me there. You don't want me walking up at Wrigley Field and all of my sock stuff. <laughs> oh, you coming in the sock but stuff that's, too. Oh, that's definitely how I'm coming. <laughs> That's definitely how I'm coming. Oh, I'm oh, I'm being this mad disrespectful. Mad disrespectful. <laughs> you wouldn't come, you know, in the cut, you know, fit in with the man. Mad disrespectful. Oh my god. I'm coming in the, I'm coming in the blood territory crip walking. <laughs> mad disrespectful. That is hilarious. <laughs> mad disrespectful. Don't play with Sean like that, man. Come on. No, man. So now he's talking about put a cub hat on. Come on, man. That's crossing the line, man. Oh, this is a good question. I like this question. Uh, who's the 2022 Heisman finalist? All right. Hey, Buckner, because he's supposed to be in the playoffs. So it has to be Bryce. Buckner. Bryce, Caleb. Buckner. He's got to be. If we want a chance to play in the championship, I mean, if you're gonna say that, yeah, I can see TB, TB, Bryce, and Anderson. Anderson's gonna get there just because they know they messed up this year. They robbed him last year, yeah. Yeah. Heck, if he does anything close to what he did this year, he'll be there. I had to think about it because I think I'm missing somebody. And, And Bowers, Bowers. 
I don't know. I like Bowers. I just like Bowers. Yeah, I like Bowers too, but his quarterback (laughs) won't really. Kirby, Kirby just won't do him justice, man. Heck, if Spencer can beat Alabama, maybe Spencer. CJ. CJ has a chance. Oh, CJ Strap. But I mean, he's not going to play enough teams unless he put 50 on us and then beat Michigan. But other than that, he's not going to have enough opportunities. I don't think he's gonna put fifty on us. I don't think that he's definitely. Oh, oh, Michigan's on his list, bro. Oh, he's hanging fifty. He's definitely hanging fifty on Jim Harbaugh next year. As much trash as they talk after that game, yeah. Well, Jim Harbaugh about to skip town and let them get. I don't know. The news broke yesterday that he's like they're trying to renegotiate his contract. Extension. They just renegotiated last year. No, he took a pay cut last year, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. He took a pay cut, and now they're talking about, you know, it's leverage. If I I was him, I would read the writing on the wall. I'm not winning the national championship at Michigan. Not no time soon. Not soon. And I beat Ohio State. I might as well leave. Because it'll be another 10 years before you beat them boys again. Man. Andre's in said, we need NIL money. You know, see, this is the thing. And this is where I agree with Nick Saban. The NIL needs to be regulated because it is getting out of hand. I don't think any uh, you look. I don't think any incoming freshman deserves NIL money. That's I give Dante you. NIL money. Say it again. I give Dante NIL money. Yeah, I mean that's fine because it's the wild wild west right now. I'm just saying if I'm regulating and I'm the NCAA, I'm putting a cap on what an incoming freshman can receive. Why? Heck yeah. Why? Because, because you don't want it to impact recruiting the way it has impacted recruiting. Nick Saban is trying to tell you, like, okay, you better regulate this because if you don't, it's about to get real ugly out here. He's I don't understand. You. I don't understand what what the cap. Okay, but think about it. Saban can only buy so many. There's gonna be some leftovers. Okay, so let's say, how, how, let's say let's say you have a. In baseball, they have what you call the international pool, right? Because every year you have kids coming over, 16, 15, 16, 17, that teams can buy, purchase their contract, get them into their system, develop them over four years, and they become the next Fernando Tatis Jr., right? Okay, but think about it, though. Did Bryce Young deserve that million in NIL before he played? Was he no. worth it in the end? No. Heck no. He was what no. He was worth it. That was a great million dollar investment. Oh, it was a great investment for the business, but we're talking about regulation. That means we're he wasn't getting million dollars. If you keep allowing these big time schools to give whatever they want to give to these top recruits, it's an unfair advantage to those programs. Period. No, it's not. No, it's yes, not. it is. Oh, it absolutely is. So what do you so okay. what do you call so what do you call it right now? 
every school needs to have for incoming freshmen you need to have a certain pool of money let's say every school has is given a budget of 50 million for incoming freshmen and it's up to that school to decide how they want to spend that 50 million if you want to give all 50 million to a quarterback just to make sure you get them, that's on you. But you don't have anything else left for the rest of the recruiting class. But you got but you gotta think though, too, is that not every school got 50 million, only about 10, no, no, no. 10 or 12 schools got that much to even spend. You create a cap, you can base it upon the TV money that comes in. That's BS because think about it though. Eastern Michigan could never offer Caleb a million if they had regulations. Dude, first of all, you know darn well we ain't talking about Eastern Michigan. Why not? It's unfair for teams like Eastern Michigan anyway. Eastern Michigan have Deion Sanders as his head coach. Eastern Michigan got a million dollars for a kid that wants it. And do you think they can not work with Caleb? But it may work. Wait a minute. Why, why did these two kids, the wide receiver that chose Jackson State on Saturday and Travis Hunter, why are they going to Jackson State? Because that's where the hype is right now. No, 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 no. Who's the head coach at Jackson State? Dion. Okay, then. That's, okay, that's then. as good as a million dollars, though. Okay, then. So if, you, if you're taking Deion Sanders to Eastern Michigan, then okay, Eastern Michigan might have a chance. Yeah, Other but that, we but but East Michigan doesn't, so their bargaining chip is a million dollars. You keep looking at this as value. Nick Saban is telling you, <laughs> let it be wide open if you want to. All right, because the NIL money, we see, but Nick Saban is been it's been it hasn't been wide open before. Nick Saban's been winning for decades, right? He's but winning. it hasn't been wide open though. It this hasn't been wide open. Nick Saban is flat out laughing at Jimbo Fisher. He's laughing. He's like, dude, you have to tap into your NIL just to catch up? Well, shit, he'll be like, Kirby did it in one. <laughs> Texas A&M couldn't beat Texas A&M with regulations. So they would never be able to get to a Bama. Why couldn't they? Can they get to a Bama now. Why couldn't they? Because they don't, they're saying, never stable enough at the head coaching job. There needs to be a cap of some sort on what schools can spend in NIL money, or it's going to get out of control. And when it gets out that's of control, only for, but, we're, but we're realistically talking for 10 schools. Only 10 schools could even set a cap. The 10 schools need a cap. So that would be discrimination against 10 schools. You're only making Dude, rules for a certain amount of discrimination. Was it discrimination when they gave less scholarships? It's discrimination when you're only just the hold 100, 100 kids on scholarship. If you're going to make the rules, it's got to <laughs> apply to all the schools, not just to the ones it's impacting. The rule would only impact 10 schools. Yo, it wouldn't impact West Virginia. West Virginia would be like, spend. so what? This is what you can spend. This is the same thing in Major League Baseball. The cap is what it what it is. The Pittsburgh Pirates spend $30 million. They have like $60 million they can spend up to the cap. They but don't that's spend. a limited amount of teams, though. You're My talking about college football. It doesn't football. matter. It what doesn't if matter. Was they, 
Does San Jose State have the budget of an Alabama to get the same five stars? Do do the Pittsburgh Pirates have the same budget like the Dodgers to get the same free agents? No, but that's a professional okay, team. Okay, then. San Jose State has a chance of being in Silicon Valley and having some money to get a recruit that wouldn't go there and couldn't go there with regulations. There's no way for San Jose State to catch up if there's regulations. It's not because about San Jose up. State would it's never have a capping. big enough budget. It's about like capping. That. It's about controlling. Dude, you're totally ignoring what Nick Saban is saying. He's saying Nick Saban no. is going to spend yes, but Nick Saban can only fit a roster of about fifty or sixty kids. Nick Saban is saying, "Look, y'all being lazy." This is what he's saying. These coaches out here being lazy. They trying to use this money to recruit instead of just putting in work. Put in the work. Kirby Smart last night said, "When I wake up in the morning, I'm taking a helicopter to see recruit." Because I'm 10 days behind everybody else. That's work. He ain't talking about I'm sending this dude NIL money. Put in the work. Man, come on, man. Put in the work. Stop being lazy. Texas has been trash. Texas has been trash. Have they not? Has Texas been trash? Has has the University of Texas been trash for a decade? Yes. Yes, they've been trash. They've been trash for a decade. You know how they're trying to climb out? You know how they're trying to change their fortune? By giving NIL money instead of putting in the work. Just like Georgia. Just like Georgia. What do you mean? Georgia did the same thing. That's how they got good in three years. No, no, no. Stop. Georgia's Georgia's roster has been full of five stars for at least eight years, man. Stop. Man, let's talk about Kirby Smart. Stop. Kirby Smart went in there and four years ago and been to the championship, what, three times. Georgia been a program before. You said Kirby Kirby Smart came to Georgia win? How many four years ago, right? Oh, Kirby Smart been in Georgia almost a decade. Kirby Smart has not been at Georgia almost a decade. Mark Rick was coaching against us when we played Georgia. Kirby Smart has not been there a decade, a decade? It's 2022. You do realize that, right? Kobe Kirby Smart hasn't been there since 2012. You act like He's NIL so- money. NIL money just started last year. Kirby Smart's been there. No, no, no. But I'm saying when Kirby Smart got there, he was definitely giving up the bag. What do you mean? What are you talking about? The bag has been happening in college football for 100 years. The bag has been different when Kirby Smart got to Georgia. That's when Georgia started getting good. So now now Nick Saban doesn't give up the bag. No, Nick Saban gives up the bag. But I'm saying Mark Rick. What's your point? Mark Rick wasn't giving up the bag at Georgia, and it wasn't until Kirby Smart Mark got Rick, there. Stop, 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 man. Don't fall for that Christian stuff, man. Don't fall for that Christian stuff. Mark Rick was giving up the bag at Georgia. Stop that. We know he wasn't giving up the bag at Georgia because when Kirby Smart got there, guess what happened to Georgia? SEC championship, SEC no, championship, he championship. He was giving up the bag. He wasn't. Dude, so now Mark Rick didn't have talent on his teams? Mark Rick didn't get the talent Kirby Smart got on the team. Because he's not the recruiter that Kirby Smart is. Because Kirby Smart dropped that bag that they learned from St. Nicholas over in Alabama. You're not about, first of all, you're not about to sit here and disrespect the work that Kirby Smart and Nick Saban put in. They definitely, but they're working on the same game plan. They they got the same game plan. The game plan is throwing that duffel. Don't, Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. 
Don't fall for that. Mark Rick was just doing it the right way and all that. No, he wasn't. He was. That's why they let him go. No, dog. Why they why did they let Mark you, Rick go? If you if you want to if you want to say if you really believe Mark Rick was totally clean and running a clean program, then I got some land for you. I got some swamp land for you down in Louisiana. I'm saying Mark Rick ran a program that Kirby Smart upgraded and made what it is today. Mark, Mark Rick, Rick was wasn't lazy. doing that bad. Mark Rick was lazy. The game is the game. And Mark Rick wanted to hate on the game. He was lazy. Period. The game is the game. Nick Saban didn't create the game. He just came in and did it better than everybody else. Now everybody's mad because he came in and snatched your corners. He came in like Marlo Stansfield, snatching corners. Now everybody is mad. The game is the game. Kirby it's all Smart, in the game, yo. Last night, the Georgia defense had a cornerback, Keely Ringo from Arizona, seal the game winning touchdown. Now, how does a Kirby Smart get a kid from Arizona and Georgia? Answer that question. What do you mean? Answer that. You think Mark Rick could have got a kid from Arizona to do that? If he wanted to put in the work. Man, if he wanted out. to put in the work and wasn't lazy, cut it out. Cut it out right now. He was lazy, just like just like Ryan Kelly was lazy. He's the same oh, way. They both lazy. You can't hate the game, dude. You don't hate the game. The game is the game. It's the same game Pete Carroll played at USC. It's the same game Nick Saban is playing. It's the same. Either you want to well, be Reggie Bush under table. Pete Carroll over there at SC. What? Was Reggie Bush under Pete Carroll over there at SC? Yep. 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 Oh, and, and oh, and in the bag was the problem over there at SC, huh? You keep talking about the bag. The bag has been in college football. What are you? What are no, you no, 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 no. The bag has been with the right coaches in college football, which have been oh, the victors. The bag. So the bag wasn't with Mac Brown down with Vince Young. It was. Okay then. So what are you talking but about? But the bag wasn't with Mac Brown when he went anywhere else. The, the bag is in Chapel Hill. Nah, they ain't producing the bag championship. That dude just got the number one tackle in the nation. That ain't the a championship. Come to North Carolina. You think the bag wasn't involved? Look, okay. we know what it costs to get right. a championship. Okay. Georgia pulling kids from Arizona to get a championship. How you doing that? All right. All right. You keep believing. You keep believing. Don't ever, don't ever hustle, bro. Your hustle game, I, I question your hustle game. If you think it's just about the bag. Uh for the right team, yes, it is. No, because the for bag, all the bag, the bag is just the product. If you don't know how to distribute the product, you having the product don't mean nothing. Curry Smart went down to Georgia. Okay. I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example. What's your boy? What's your boy? I forget his name. What's your boy that went to Mississippi and tried to run the bag like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and got busted in the first in the second year, third year? What's his name? Um, what's his name? The one that got Treadwell and all those five stars to come to Mississippi. But he did it, he did it sloppy. Boy, whoa, don't get mad because Kirby and Nick know how to do it. <laughs> Don't get mad. That's my Somebody point. told no, no, no. Somebody told on him because they know how to. Somebody, they Nick told Saban on is telling please. you. Nick Saban is telling you. 
you better regulate this because I know how to do it. <laughs> and I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come take all their corners because they don't know what they're doing. And if you they don't regulate this, Freeze. I'm gonna come Marlowe Stansfield all of their corners. They told on Hugh Freeze. They told on Hugh Freeze. Who told him? He told on himself. But Hugh Freeze was also about to win a championship. Man, look. Because that bag was talking right. Robert Kendichi and uh and uh who on this and and Carl Lawson on come on. Come on, man. You you bugging, bro. You bugging a little bit today. <laughs> Just man, a little bit. Train, put on the petty train, man. This is crazy. Let's see. Uh Kirby made those bags heavier. Thank you. Thank you, GLBC. Thank you. We don't buy that Mark Rick was clean. Man, Mark Rick wasn't no clean coach. Are you kidding me? Thank you, Royal Fingers. That's I'm gonna start calling that cat Saving Marlowe. That's who he is. He's Marlowe's game. Just snatching corners, dude. And he this is perfect. So he comes in. My boy, um, he comes in, he snatches the corner because my boy is in jail. This is the wire. This is college football. This is the wire. I'm going to break it down for you today. Oh, here we go. Right? So Nick Saban is Marlowe. He comes in and he takes the corners because Avon, right, goes to jail. So his organization is all tattered up. Marlowe has the product. He comes in. He takes the corners. That's Nick Saban. Now, <laughs> the NIL money is Prop Joe in the co-op. Mm, right? Okay. That's the NIL money. That's Prop <laughs> Joe in the co-op. So Prop Joe in the co-op, they doing their thing. Right? Yeah. See, Prop Joe, that's Jimbo Fishing. That's Jimbo Fisher. He leading the charge of the co-op, the NIL money, Texas, Texas A&M. We all sharing in the product together, getting the best price. We giving offensive linemen 50000 <laughs> doing all this type of stuff, right? So this Cap Marlowe is chilling because he's winning without the co-op. But then he sees the opportunity. You know what? I could take all of this. If I act like I'm going to join the co-op and then mm. just take over mm. and eventually take Prop Joe out. Interesting. Right? So, but before I do, I'm going to send a warning shot to let Cass know, like, all right, if this is what y'all really want, because Prop Joe keeps asking me to be a part of the co-op. And I said no twice. I just said yeah, no, said no twice. twice. You come back to me again. All right. That's what you want? I'm going to give it to you. So that's what Nick Saban is saying. Is that what you really want? You really want this NIL money to be unregulated? Okay. I'm about to show you how to do it. And he's going to become part of the co-op. He's going to become part of the NIL. And he's going to take the whole thing over. And everybody's going to be even more mad when he's 80 years old, still winning national championship. And Jimbo Fisher... In 10 years, it's going to be fired from Texas A&M 
from spending all their NIL money. Spending all their NIL. He's going to end up like Prop Joe dead on his own dining room table. And that, my friends, is college football as The Wire presented to you by the Lucky Lefty Podcast. That cat Nick Saban is Marlo Stansfield. That was probably your best comparison on the Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. That, that you broke it down just right. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. Nick Saban is telling you, man, y'all better regulate this, bro. Petty Train, brought to you by Fashion Geek. Go to alonzojackson.com. It's the Petty Train. We'll have the bells and whistles back tomorrow for the Petty Train. I might be petty for this. Man, I got to put Stetson Bennett on the Petty Train, man. Man. Talking about bases? Nobody want to see them tears on the sideline, man. What you doing? Yeah, we don't want to see that because it was ugly. It didn't look like it, it was looked like a forced cry. cry. That's what it was. It, it was, was a an ugly cry. cry. It's like, man, I don't want that ugly cry. I, I can't do that. nothing with that because I can't. I can't get emotional behind it because it wasn't. It didn't feel right. <laughs> and by the way, this is uh, Kirby's seventh year. Yeah, I'm about to say he he was just there, you know, when a young bag duffel shuffler, you know, he was out there just supplying the capital and uh, you know, fast food in the process. <laughs> DBZ said, "Who's Tinkerbell?" <laughs> oh man, Sean S, I didn't see your super chat. You're gonna have to give me the time for it. We're behind. I'm trying to catch up. So, yeah, I had to put him on the uh, the petty train. And everybody else that feels like college football, oh, David Jones, I hope not. David Jones said Kane Madden got the bag. Look, man. <laughs> Look, man. <laughs> Look. Yo, if Notre Dame wasted a bag on Kane Madden, uh, let's see. Yeah, that's true, Derek. I agree with that. ESPN shares the blame in that they talked about it ad nauseum. Oh, I like this. Royal Fingers. Freeman has to be Omar. Yes, yes, yes. That is Marcus Freeman. That is the whole vibe. He's Omar. He's robbing all of them. He's robbing everybody. Coming to take the product, selling it back to him. I like that. I like Marcus Freeman as Omar. I like that. Oh, indeed. Man, if Marcus Freeman said that in a press conference, I would die laughing. Oh, indeed. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. I don't know if we can dedicate an entire episode. <laughs> Be busy. You're crazy saying Nick, Nick Saban got that blue magic. <laughs> right. Right. Importing it in. Cheaper the price. 
cheaper than everybody else's product. Oh, man. I think Notre Dame does. Man, there's no one that is uh, clean. Uh, Eric Pruitt, I agree with you. Anderson would definitely be a candidate for a uh, top player, top pick in the NFL draft. <laughs> who got the bag thank you tom balork who got the bag would be a nice t-shirt <laughs> i don't crazy boy i don't know i don't know how i feel about jackson dart to notre dame he had a couple of good games i think he had a good game against washington state Uh, Kelly Hernandez, thank you for tapping in the bag. Someone explained the bag is money paid to athletes. That's the bag. Taking care of athletes, whether it's legally, under the table, however. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find your super chat and I literally do not see it, my man. I apologize. Uh, tomorrow we'll get more in depth. I'll say this, and I think Brian Driscoll has been at the forefront of this story. I think the chances of Holman Wiggins coming I would put it at about 40% right now. Um, I'll put it at 40%. Um, I think Jamarcus Shepard ends up getting the job. And I think he becomes the new wide receiver coach. Recruitment-wise, it's an upgrade for Dale Alexander. Uh, uh, man, I definitely want to see what he does immediately with the Carnell Tate situation. That's going to be his first hurdle because I believe Carnell Tate, from my intel, I believe Carnell Tate more than likely is going to be ending his recruitment probably sometime late March, April. And, and get ready to rock and roll. Um, so that's he's going to have to hit the ground running, whomever gets the wide receiver coach position from a recruiting standpoint. But I'm very impressed with Jamarcus Shepard with his development and how he develops players more than anything. So I think Jamarcus Shepard is the, uh, the odds-on leader right now to get the job, a wide receiver coach in Notre Dame. Uh, I think uh, Brian Driscoll and Irish Breakdown has been talking about that on the message board for like the last 48 hours. So, but I do think Marcus Freeman is going to talk to Holman Wiggins, especially in the next couple of days. And if he can grab him. Um, yeah. Um, 
Unless NWJR72, I know I still don't understand why you wouldn't do a formal interview with Wiggins unless he said that he didn't want it or just messed up the phone interview. Um, I mean, was there is there reporting out there that he's that he's not getting a formal interview? I'm just saying at this point, I think Jamarcus Shepard is going to end up being the guy. Uh, David Flores, any news on defensive coordinator candidate? Also, I think Indy gets Shepard as wide receiver coach. As far as the D.C., um, I've talked this over with a couple of people, and most people think the best candidate is probably Heacock or Mason. Mason has rubbed some people the wrong way at certain schools that he's been at. I don't know if that'll sit well with the administration because, you know, Marcus Freeman can say he wants this coach, but they still have to be vetted by the administration and approved. So, you know, Heacock to me is a safe choice. Derek Mason, from a recruiting standpoint, is a home run choice, especially when you're putting together a staff because you have to get someone that meshes well with the aggressiveness of Elston. And then you got Laurinaitis, who I think is going to be a beast um, in recruiting. And then you put somebody like Mickens, who's shown that he's a beast and getting defensive backs with the 2022 recruiting class. I mean, that DB room was suffering from depth just because of the 18 and 19 recruiting classes. They really didn't get anybody. So that's why you see a lot of people coming over from the offensive side of the ball to play defensive back at Notre Dame over the last two years. So getting that depth, sure that up, Brandon Joseph is a great get to give you more depth in the defensive backfield. And it's all about the fit, right? Like who is the better fit to go with Mickens, O'Leary, Laurinaitis, and, and Elston? Who's the better fit, right? Because you're running. It's not like you're coming in and you're running your scheme. Like you're running Marcus Freeman's defense. Like when you're interviewing with Marcus Freeman, you have to be able to create something within the parameters of how he wants that defense to look. So it's not like you're sitting down with Brian Kelly and saying, this is what I can do. This is my defense. If you're doing your research as the candidate and you're properly researching how you need to come in and, and perform this interview, you're making sure that what you want to do lines up with what Marcus Freeman likes to do, because ultimately he's not the defensive coordinator, but the defense is his baby. And he's going to want the defense to look a certain way. So in my opinion, that's a challenge. Derek Mason fits that mold and is probably the first choice for most people that look at the situation, but you have to look at how he left other schools, certain situations that took place. And maybe Heacock is a better fit. Al Golden, even though he has the NFL pedigree, he's a relentless recruiter going back to Miami. And when he was an assistant coach, eh, I don't know. That's like tier two for me. That's tier two to me. Uh, let's see. Tommy Guns, what do you think about Freeman being the best candidate? Being it for, for what exactly, Tommy Gons? Like, clarify that for me, because I want to answer your question. 
uh, is Dart enough to push TB in the quarterback room? I mean, he's a talent. Don't get it twisted. Like, if you look at his height, because we talk about Tyler Buckner's high school stats, what Jackson Dart did in high school was, man, he put up some phenomenal numbers. So he's bigger, a little bit bigger than Tyler. Uh, he can move. He can run. And I would venture to say his arm is probably just a little bit stronger than Tyler's. So, yeah, it would be a challenge. But, you know, if you're committed to Tyler, I just don't know if you want to bring him in. I just don't know. Andrew Goss, appreciate you for tapping in. If MF can go to an NY6 Bowl his first year, we will dominate 2023 recruiting. Well, I mean, they're already doing a great job defensively. They are, they're dominating the defensive side of the ball. Um, this season has to be about showing what this offense can be, convincing Adante more that you can build an offense around his, his uh, skill set and then allowing him to be the magnet to the wide receivers, the skill positions, and you're going to recruit at the offensive line. That's what Notre Dame does, and you're going to develop offensive linemen. So it's really about rounding out the staff then rounding out the offensive side of the recruiting class in 2023 and then going out and performing, like you said, and getting to an NY6 or the CFP, <coughs> excuse me, and taking that next step. Absolutely. Subscribe, share, like, make sure you guys hit that like button. Oh, I got you. You're talking about Tommy Guns. I got you. Um, Nah, I don't like it. I don't. Um, because Notre Dame is really, and I know this is like low-hanging fruit, so I might stay away from saying it, but it's different. It's different. It's a lot of moving parts, and just from a scheduling standpoint, especially if he's going to be the lead recruiter and still meet all of the requirements connected to Subway fan base, alumni, and all of that, it's probably best that he's not the defensive coordinator, in my opinion. In my opinion. Um, the time that he could give to actually putting together a game plan each and every week as a DC, that's time he can commit to recruits. And I would much rather him on the recruits. I would much rather have him on the recruits than to have him dealing with the game plan for the upcoming week like find somebody you trust put them over that meet with them twice a week to talk about the game plan and let your coach let your players coach i mean let your coaches coach and let your players play that's what nick saban does like nick saban could it's his defense and like everybody knows nick saban that's his defense he's hands-on very much with the defensive backs because that's what he played that's his specialty so he coaches the defensive backs every day in practice, but the defense is up to his defensive coordinator. And his defensive coordinators have done a pretty good job, but you know that's Nick Saban's defense. And I think that's the same thing you want from Marcus Freeman. You want to know that that's his defense, but at the same time, you want to empower your coaches to coach. And then if he wants to specialize and deal with a certain group during the week, say like if he wants to have a hands-on uh, approach with the linebackers, then that's cool because that's the position he played. 
and he wants to teach them during the week or during practices, by all means, he should. But other than that, be a coach and be that relentless recruiter that brings the talent into the program. I would much rather his time, um, I don't want to say be wasted, or his time be delegated to that. Yo, it can't hurt if any quarterback comes that's decent. I'm just asking myself, if I'm committed to Tyler Buckner, I have no reason to bring Jackson Dart in. That's the if. All right? Because they're saying it's a competition. It shouldn't be a competition between Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. It just shouldn't. Like, Tyler Buckner should be the quarterback that gives you the best chance to win. And if he's not, and you see that in practices, that's a problem. Man, y'all crazy. <laughs> Miami probably will regret firing uh, Brian Flores, but uh, Jeff Darlington wrote a great article yesterday on ESPN where he talked about um, – the inability of Brian Flores and what he wanted to do to form a proper relationship with the executives. He wanted one direction. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this all comes down to him not being on board with Miami going all in on trying to get Deshaun Watson in the middle of the season. I fully think that organization and owners, Mr. Ross and everybody involved, they wanted to go get Deshaun Watson. And I think Brian Flores was like, no, I don't need that. Uh, I'm cool with Tua, and we're going to win games with Tua. And he won seven in a row, eight of his last nine. <clears throat> ten, and, uh, ten and six, nine and eight, winning record. Somebody's going to give him a job. He'll be back in the NFL soon. And that's the bigger issue. Not that he got fired. If he doesn't get one of these job openings, then we know something's wrong in the NFL. We definitely know something's wrong. Hey, hey, Tom, hey, slow down, man. Don't come hard at the Bears like that. Relax, man, relax. Why are you coming at the Bears? Why come at the Bears like that? And DBZ, yes. The Bears more than likely, they probably need to hire Ryan Day. I think uh, – from what's being reported, they've asked permission to talk to to interview Byron Leftwich, uh, Todd Bowles, and uh, Brian Dable to this point. Those are the three interviews that have been confirmed for the Bears. Once again, I don't have it flipped. I'm telling you what's been reported by Jeff Darlington and what's being reported by other reporters. He did not want Watson. It was the ownership because the story broke because the ownership had going out. Brian, this is people, you have to connect the dots. The story breaks that the Miami Dolphins want Deshaun Watson and that a deal has already been made, Right. Brian Flores isn't making any deals. Brian Flores can't make a deal. So how can sources come out and say they've already got a deal set in place? This is in the middle of the season. 
Brian Flores has no power to make a deal or to leak that to anybody. So, no, the organization wanted Deshaun Watson, and they still want Deshaun Watson. I heard Stephen Ross the other day saying this have we have no interest in Deshaun Watson. Why are you saying that? For what? For what? You're lying. Because you were talking to the Texans. You were trying to get a deal done. And Brian Flores wasn't for it. So when you don't have a GM in the front office, in line, I don't care how good that coach is, they move on. And it's Stephen. Absolutely. It's been the story for months that Stephen Ross wanted Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. That's not on Brian Flores. That's just like connect the dots, man. If anybody's telling you that Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson, it's a lie. Brian Flores cannot broker a deal. He has no power to have a deal in place. None. So how does the story come out that there's a deal in place for Deshaun Watson? Brian Flores was talking to the Texans behind their back? Let's be real, man. Let's be real. How does that story break in the middle of the season that there's a deal in place? Brian Flores has no power to make a deal. None. None. So how can you put that in his feet? And anybody that's trying, that's like a spin after the fact. Like, oh, Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Those are the executives that tried to force the Deshaun Watson on that team in the middle of the season. And it's like it was just a bad look. It was a bad look. It was no reason to do it in the middle of the season because Deshaun Watson was, wasn't going to play this year. He wasn't. So why are you doing that in the middle of the season? Brian Flores can't do that. He can't leak information. All of that is exact. Those are executives. He can't broker a deal. He can't call the Texans. He doesn't have the power to do that. He can't do any of that. So if they're trying to change the story up, you know, to cover their own A's, then that's on them. Yeah, it's like, dude. And then he didn't, you know, he didn't have a great relationship with Tua. Like, come on, man. What are we talking about, dude? What are we talking about? It was just a bad situation, and I think it was best for both. That's why I really wasn't upset. I mean, you don't like it when a man that is successful, well, he's never made the playoffs, so I don't want to make it seem like he's been successful like that. But he's had winning seasons. And what he got when he got there, where the Dolphins were to where they are now, it's a far cry. So he's been a success as a head coach, in my opinion, from that standpoint. But ultimately, yo, sometimes there's a breakup that's good for both parties. And in my opinion, that breakup is good for both parties. Because if things weren't right and you don't have the connection and the symmetry between the executives and the coaching staff, then, you know, you need to break. You need to break. And hopefully they can find the right guy that they feel like is step in step with them. And ultimately, Flores, like I said, Flores didn't draft Tua over uh, Justin Herbert. 
That wasn't his decision. So yeah, Stephen Ross has always been a step slow, right? He did get outbid for the Jets uh, a couple of years ago. Um yeah, the 10 and 6 season to me was the most impressive coming from where they came from. Like the Dolphins were awful. And for them to go 10 and 6 on this first season, you know, they struggled out the gate this year. Uh, they had higher expectations. And this year has just been one of those COVID seasons where you can go up and down um, every team's win loss record and say, yo, you know, you look at the Ravens. Yo. Their best player in the MVP got hurt. So everybody that beat them the last six weeks is like, okay, you beat the Ravens, but you really didn't beat the Ravens because Lamar Jackson didn't play. So this COVID season really messed with, even the last two years, it's really messed with rosters, man. And there are a lot of games that teams won that they might not have won if everybody was playing with the full, uh, full deck of cards. But uh, Bob Busby, yeah, you must – yeah, we talked about that earlier. Um, that defensive tackle position is a very underrated position when it comes to elite programs. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, Ben – uh, man, yeah, you explained it to me, Ben. Like, it's confusing to a lot of people, but, you know, just on the outside looking in, um, yeah, it's a it wasn't even a bad breakup. I think it was a very amicable breakup. I think they had a conversation. They realized that it was irreparable moving forward. And Brian Flores wasn't budging on who he is and what he believed. And Stephen Ross and his team wanted to go in another direction. Man, and there it is. And Ben, you're right. Like, you guys were horrible before him, just horrible. And, uh, you know, like I said, this year was kind of strange. The winning streak, they beat some teams that, Weren't at even strength, but you still play the game. You play the game. Heck, Alabama wasn't fully healthy last night, but you know what? They went out there, played the game, and had an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter. That's all you can ask. That's all you can ask. All right, two hours, 18 minutes. We're going to have a special guest tomorrow for you guys, and then tap in with this Thursday. It's going to be a mashup. Hopefully, my guy Brian Driscoll will feel better. He's going to join us Thursday. We're going to talk about – um, the best teams. He's going to join us at 10. We're going to have a regular show, 9 and 10, and then he's going to join us at 10 o'clock to talk about uh, the best teams. We're going to argue the three best teams in the last 10 years at Notre Dame. The three best teams in the last 10 years at Notre Dame because all three of us differ. Of course, you can guess who Malik thinks was the best team in Notre Dame in the last 10 years. So, don't forget, subscribe, share, like, We'll see you guys tomorrow right back here at 9 a.m. We'll be back tomorrow. I, like I said, I'm on my second computer, and uh, I get my computer back. My baby is fixed. 
I go pick it up. Hard drive issues, man. Got that repaired. We're back with the bells and whistles tomorrow right here on the Lucky Lefty podcast. So for my guy, Malik Zaire, the original Lucky Lefty himself, I'm Sean Davis. As always, go Irish and spend it different today. We'll see you guys tomorrow.